0: What is going on, everybody? This is Duke White. You watching Real Life with Duke White, uh, and today we have a very, very special guest with us. With well, us, we have John Hewitt, uh, who is one of the most amazing uh, entrepreneurs that you will have the opportunity to encounter. So, thank you for giving us this time with you uh, to pick your brain.
1: <laughs> it's my pleasure. Ho- hopefully, we can help you.
0: Well, well, and, and that's the the the. Uh, The situation right now that I I know that people are down right now, the economy is kind of in a weird place. COVID has definitely uh, uh, challenged people, but there is an opportunity that uh, I think entrepreneurs have. Kind of like the Great Depression, uh, entrepreneurs really took the lead and changed the direction of the country. I think this is another opportunity for entrepreneurs to rise up and, and make a difference historically. Uh, and then, of course, you're an, you're an author. Uh, you wrote the book I compete, and uh, I thought, man, this, this this is perfect timing because uh, who would think, you know, in a time like this, having that competitive nature could actually bring uh, legacy to your family. Uh, so, first, let's give a little history about who you are for those that. May not know the the genius. But listen, I'm going to say a lot of things to blow your head up because I think you're amazing, uh, and I, I really do believe that you are a, a gift, uh, in your ability to share this wisdom on how to become great. Uh, I, I think that you really have that ability. So tell everybody a little bit about yourself.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna. I'll cover my 52 year career in in a few minutes. Yeah, I, I mean, right. okay, <laughs> yeah, I've I've told it before. I started 52 years ago in, uh, I was University of Buffalo, took a H&R block tax course, loved it. And so I was blessed. I was 20 years old and find out, found out what I wanted to do when I grew up. And, uh, 12 years later, I was running 250 H&R block stores, youngest regional director in the country. And my dad said to me, said he was a CFO of a public company. And he liked his, his Apple computer that he bought by mail better than the mainframe that was running his public company. So he said, we're going to computerize taxes and, um, and we're going to put it on this little Apple. And I said, dad, this, that computer can't even beat me at chess. How, I mean, how can I put the entire tax system, which would be as big as this room in paper? How can I put it onto this little computer? And he said, we're going to do it. So he quit his job as a CFO of a public company. I quit my job at Block, and in 1981, we built the first tax software ever for an Apple computer. And uh, no one wanted it. It was ahead of its time. People were afraid of computers. People, when when my taxpayers touched it, they were afraid they would break it and it would explode and they could hurt it. And uh, so got lucky and found a company here in Virginia Beach called Mel Jackson Tax Service. Mel had died. And we bought six stores from his widow. And over the next fifteen years we changed the name from Mal Jackson to Jackson Hewitt. And uh we sold it in nineteen ninety seven for four hundred and eighty three million dollars. Mm-hmm. And uh now it now it has six thousand offices, half of them are in Walmart, over three thousand of them are in Walmart. I had a non compete for three years, and uh, and I couldn't go anywhere within 25 miles of a Jackson Hewitt office, which was virtually every, they were in every state yeah. and um, uh, virtually everywhere in the United States. But since I grew up in Buffalo, I knew the Canadian tax system. And C- Canada has a, a, uh, a thousand H&R blocks. And so we opened in Canada. There were no Jackson Hewitt's in Canada. So we opened in Canada for three years and just as I had in the U.S., I founded one of the top 100 largest franchise chains in Canada and uh, in three years and came back in the United States in 2000. And now I had to compete with the 900-pound Gorilla H&R Block, but I also had to compete with my own name, my own software, my own system. And yet, in the next 12 years, not only did we grow faster than H&R Block or faster than Jackson Hewitt, we grew faster than both of them combined. And so in, in 12 years, we opened 4,000 locations, top 10 fastest franchisor ever. And so now I've founded two of the top 100 retail chains, retail franchise chains in this country. Uh, it became worth a half a billion dollars public company. I sold my stock two years ago and I'm starting over with loyalty brands and loyalty is a, Umbrella, I mean, a, a um, conglomerate of a n- number of franchisors. We have nine right now. We're on our way to 50 that do cross marketing and work together. Uh, and uh, so, in each of the other cases, I had one location. This time they say third time's the charm. Hope they're right.
0: Right. Now, now it seems like, I love the fact that you said I have to compete with my own name. Because I think that one of the things when it comes to being an entrepreneur, uh, sometimes we'll look at what's going on as the competition, but really it's what's going in is the competition, what's going on inside of you. It seems like you've really been focused on what you're able to do, uh, and you made what you're able to do greater than the competition. Uh, why don't you think you were intimidated by the non-compete For the three years, you know, why wouldn't you just say, oh
1: man, I can't do this? Well, I had to do something. And, um, after about six months or a year, I was getting paid $250,000 a year to non-compete. After about six months or a year, I said, I'll give it all back to you. Just let me compete. And of course they wouldn't. So, um, I had to find something to do. And we were looking at, we were looking at other kinds of industries. Because I was cocky enough to believe I could be successful in other industry. And, uh, but the Canadian opportunity was sort of ding, 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 ding. It's a real opportunity. There was in Canada, there was a thousand H and R block offices and the second biggest competitor had 50. Wow. So it was a clear, clear opportunity. There was a clear vacancy for for us to, to go in and grab,
0: now, and I, I think that's a huge word opportunity. Um, how important is it to be in tune with opportunity for the entrepreneur?
1: Um, you know, God opens doors and opens windows, and you got to be a You got to be ready to grab the, the opportunity so, or, or the the situation. And, uh, there's, there's always, uh, in, in virtually every situation, there's an opportunity to excel. For example, in recessions, great businesses grab market share. It's easier to grab market share during a recession than it is when everything's going well. When everything's going well, anyone can do it. When during a recession, only the best can do it. And so the weak, the weak go out of business, the strong, they grab market share during recession. So yeah. there's, there's virtually always some opportunity somewhere.
0: Yeah. Now, I, I do know, uh, in the faith community, it's very difficult because, uh, the, the faith community, when you approach certain business principles, you know, there's an the issue of being aggressive and you being, you want to be fair. How do you balance spirituality and business? That's a loaded question, I know, but it, you know, yeah, it, it seems like most people's interpretation of business is dog eat dog. But when you're a spiritual person, you know, how do you how do you balance that and you know and maintain that integrity?
1: Well, let me answer that in a couple of ways. Number one is I think it's God, family, business. And if if you saw me in the in the business community, you would say he's crazy. He's it's business family god or business god family but that's because I'm such a fierce competitor you know I I saw Dennis Rodman was interviewed and I'm not a Dennis Rodman fan at all um, he's he's crazy but um and he's even his own teammates didn't like him often he fought in locker rooms with his own his own team sometimes but I saw him interviewed and in about four or five years ago, and they said, how did you get along with Michael Jordan? I mean, you won three championships or two championships with Michael Jordan. How'd you get along with him? And he said, because Michael and I were the same. As soon as we cross over that line onto the court, we would rather die than lose. We will, we give 150%. And, and so that's how I am. When I'm in the arena competing, I'm given 150% when, I, whether it's my friend, my family, my, <laughs> I, it doesn't matter. You're on the other side. I, for, I'm just, I'm just a fanatical competitor. If I'm playing, if I'm teaching a seven-year-old how to play chess, I'm a life master chess player. I'm not going to let him win. Right? <laughs> Even if it's my own child or grandchild, right? I'm not going to let them win. I have, I just am, uh, you know, one of my phrases is show me a loser. A good loser, I'll show you a loser wow but but on another but on another side of that is that people say, Why are you successful and and so successful and I say it comes down to one a couple of things but one thing for sure that's very uh Christian and very important is I always want to do what's best for the other person, whether it's a customer or an employee. I I try to do what's best for people. And what is best for both of us, best for both you and I, that's even better. But at the end of the day, I want what's best for you. And so I'm a a very giving, caring, want what's best for people. And I think that's how I fit it in. It's it's
0: amazing that you say that because it seems like that attitude kind of locks you in, in that servant position, And, and the Messiah says that the greatest among you will serve. Uh, and, and I think that ultimately, you know, uh, th- what, what makes great people great is the commitment to that servant, to becoming the best servant. Uh, and and uh, I think that that's just an undefeatable mindset to have when, I, when you're coming to serve. And, and when the competition is to be the best uh, servant. And why not say I've done enough? Why not say you know i've mastered the universe i'm good
1: yeah i built two chains that are have a billion and a half in value and uh 10,000 offices changed thousands of people's life created over 800 millionaires and it's like one every one more every week is becoming a millionaire in in um uh people that work with me around me for me uh, so um the but I can't, you know, I watch society, I watch people, and 95% of people retire, 98% of people retire. I am at the peak of my knowledge, the peak of my skill. It's And my favorite story in the Bible is the talent story. I am incredibly blessed with talent, and if I go sit on a beach somewhere, you know, when I was a kid, I thought, I'll make a few million dollars and retire, I can make money. I can make money, I was cocky, and I can make money, and I'll just go retire. But in the journey, the journey was the joy, I found out, what would I do? You know, as I said, I'm a life master chess player, I'm a life master bridge player. And I only do that a few days a year. And that's nowhere near as fun as every day, thank God it's Monday, coming to work and changing people's lives. So the thing that drives me, the thing that makes me happiest in the whole world is not sitting, never sitting on a beach, never, never just lally along. It's changing people's
0: lives. Yeah,
1: And that's what—that's why I'm gonna do it, they gotta kill me to stop.
0: You did say that, you said that. When I saw your Facebook post, I was like, this guy, he's not joking. Like, I'm like, a lot of people were, were laughing and responding, I'm like, no, he's not joking right there. You know? Now, I, I do want to ask you this about, uh, you know, off, off air, we were talking about uh the entitlement mentality and uh and i said one of the main reasons that i wanted to have you on is to really let's have a down-to-earth conversation to help entrepreneurs really embrace you know what it really means to be an entrepreneur uh, and you made a comment and said that uh, you know, ease really has nothing to do with this that, that it, it so it's it is a grueling process because we use the word process sometimes and we and, and uh, we don't like add that extra adjective, you know, that painful process because it, it is grueling, discipline is involved uh, and, and you said that you actually despise the, the, the concept of easy. Where, where, where did that come from?
1: Well, it's biblical that nothing worthwhile comes easy, right? I mean, God gives us there's I've never met a human being and I I, I brought in five thousand franchisees in my career. Changed out th- tens of thousands of people's lives, hundreds of thousands of people's life. And everyone has their has to overcome adversity. And there as I said, nothing nothing worthwhile comes easy. It it all requires hard work. There's no success. And and it's frustrating for me. You know, I'm I'm the most positive person you may ever meet I mean I'm one of the most positive people and that's one of my blessings but um one of the I one of the reasons is that I realize at every point in my life at the most deepest worst time that there are people that are way worse off than me I mean that and so I how can I be sad I mean if I I even my own children I have six children Even my own children, I can't convince them that just by being alive and healthy and living in the United States, you're one of the 2% most blessed people on the planet. And, but they don't get it. They feel, Oh, I should be richer. I should, you should give me more money. You should, you know, I'm, I mean, blah, 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 blah. Just uh, they, people do not appreciate the blessings that God has given them. Just people just don't get it.
0: So, uh, with this particular generation, uh, I think that this mindset is is not a racial thing. Uh, I I guess it could be a spiritual thing, but the entitlement mindset, because you brought up the word entitlement mindset, I've heard people from all walks of life uh, say that there's something wrong with this generation in the entitlement mindset. Uh, How toxic is the entitlement mindset to the entrepreneur?
1: Well, it's manifesting itself in the quality of employees. The quality of employees today that are coming into the marketplace. I mean, in, in talking to, you know, I spend most of my time talking to fellow entrepreneurs. And everyone is complaining about the quality of the new employees. The millennials and the, and the young, even younger, they're just say they just have no work ethic and they don't care. And, and the, actually, I'm getting ready to write my second book. And the biggest part of the book is on this premise that only less than 5% of employees act like owners. Mm. 95, 97, 98. 99% Ninety-nine percent of employees act like employees, and but the ones that act like owners, those are the diamonds in the rough. And the the a big part of my second book is how to find them, how to find the people that are going to act like owners, because owners, most owners like uh, act like owners, and most employees act like employees, and so it's uh, uh, there's very few owners in in. The last, the last uh, several, the last two generations.
0: Wow! wow. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, uh, we're going to talk about what it means to be a leader, because uh, that's the thing that I think entrepreneurs really need to understand. We're going to talk about what it means to be a leader. Jesus is coming soon. Well, we are back. You are watching Real Life with Dude White, and we are here with John Hewitt. Thank you again for being with us, uh, and and just uh, this opportunity. You understand, like like I'm, I'm standing beside, like I'm sitting beside uh, a legend, someone who listen, Olga, yeah, no, no, mm-hmm. full of wisdom. And I think that's what what uh, is so exciting. The most it, 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 it is that you're someone that that didn't just succeed but you recorded what it took to get there in your mind and uh, you wrote this wonderful book called I Compete. I think when we first met, I think you had just written it, uh, or you, you were just uh, were talking about it right now. I don't think it had come out yet. Um, and you you're a guy that executes what you say you're going to do. Like, are you, once you put your mind to it, this is what's going to happen. Um, which means that You have this genuine alpha leadership about you. Um, When I say the word leader to you, what comes to your mind?
1: I think that one of my blessings in building two companies from zero to 500 employees and 10,000 offices is that as a leader, your responsibility is to give it, to have a dream that's reasonable and then get everyone to buy in. You get your employees, your customers, your vendors, your investors, you get everyone to buy into the dream. So you have to have a reasonable dream, a reasonable plan and vision, and then you have to get buy-in. If you can't get in buy-in, you're not a leader. Mm-hmm. Leadership is getting buy-in of all the groups that matter.
0: Yeah. And then, uh, you know, I, I, I tell people all the time that there's a difference between being a fan and, and being a leader. And, you know, you, may, you might be a fan of football but don't have what it takes to be on the field. Uh, and, and I think that a lot of times people will jump into something because they might be a fan of business but don't have really the, the work ethic of what it takes. And so, uh, and I'm saying that because I want you, the audience, to know that, uh, that a lot of you might be attracted to entrepreneurship, but it doesn't mean you're an entrepreneur. <laughs> it's just you're attracted to the idea of working with your, your own business. And uh, if these, what I'm saying hits you in any kind of way, you know, and, and you're offended by it, well, good. You, you know, but if, if, if you are an entrepreneur, then what I just said won't intimidate you at all. You'll, you'll know that this was not for you. But a true entrepreneurs know that it's bigger than just not being able to work for someone. Because I think sometimes entrepreneurship has been defined by I can't work for someone, I don't like working with people. Um, what do you sense to that mindset?
1: Well, let me add a little bit to what you're saying. That Remember, I brought in 5,000 franchisees, and that means 50,000 people looked at the opportunity. <laughs> so I've, had, I've interviewed and talked to and guided t- tens of thousands of people, maybe 40,000, 50,000. And what, what I've learned is that two-thirds of people think they want to be self-employed in this country. And that studies show it's 60 70 75% think they want to be self-employed. But only a quarter of them or a third of them have the ability to do it because they just can't take the risk. They can't be self-starting. They just uh, can't develop a system. They're too much of a perfectionist. Or too scared of debt or whatever it is. So the entrepreneurship is not all that it's made up to be. It's wonderful and, and it's, it's, um, no one gets to be my boss, right? I get to be my own boss and set my own hours. And, but, but, um, when the, when it gets tough, there's no, you look around and oops, it's, the buck stops here. Yeah. And it's so stressful, you know, when you have 500 employees and at the peak of my career, I had 500 employees and 2000 franchisees. And if something happens to me, if I screw up, I'm, f- and, and the 2000 franchisees had, had 50,000 employees. So, and I'm, it's all on me. So it's incredible. The, the more successful you get, the more, the more stress you have. And, you know, when I got my first lawsuit 25 years ago, you know, my attorney said, you know, it's, the more successful you get, the more you, we live in a very litigious society. So there's all kinds of negatives to go along with the positives. Right. I mean, it's, it's about the only way to, to grow extreme wealth in this country is to be self-employed. Right. And you get to
0: work for yourself. Because ultimately, no one's going to pay you what you really value because a negative program. Exactly. So, so entrepreneurship right. Right. is the only way you can really get your value uh, worth. Now, now, I I do know that uh, the reputation of the particular business that you're in it's 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 so challenging because you you chose an industry that you don't get to depend on entertainment because that kind of you can have a uh, you can have a a uh, a product that's higher quality than my product, but if I hide behind entertainment, I can still get a bigger audience and a bigger, you know, the, and, and uh, you know, eventually it might be a high turnaround, but eventually entertainment gives people edge. You chose an industry that people think is for old people, you know, for parents or for, and, so, and, and, and you know, one of the biggest uh, money spenders are young people, but uh, the tax industry is a very... You know, and then there's the reputation of it just being seasonal, when really it's, it's really all year. But there's a seasonal reputation. How do you deal with the fact that we live in a generation where they would rather be in tune with entertainment than down to earth business principles that create success and legacy? How? How? how and when, what is? What effect has that had on you? Because you you. Have seen the impact that entertainment has had, uh, and, and the fact that there was a generation that was chasing after education, and literally, uh, you know, from the, I'll say from the '60s to now, entertainment has taken over the, the the desire of the entrepreneur.
1: Well, actually, over over the years, when I was in college, um, back in the '60s and early '70s. The uh, there was a song that came out called, uh, by the Beatles, called The Tax Man. And 95 for you and 5 for me, and in Great Britain where the Beatles were fun, the highest tax rate was 95%. And so the song in the song it says 95 for you and 5 for me. So the government took 95% of, 95 cents out of every dollar after you made like 10 million dollars. So the Beatles were lamenting about that in the song, but uh, the, the, my college friends uh, called me the taxman because I worked for H&R Block, and I knew taxes, and if they had a tax question or needed someone to do their returns, then I would do their yeah, taxes. Yeah. So I was the taxman. And even then, back in the 60s, they were saying, well, what happens when they make it really simple? They come up with a simple tax. 'Cause they were talking about fair tax, simple tax, even back then. And so I've faced that now for fifty two years. People talking about fair tax, simple tax, and now online makes it makes it easy to do your own tax trip. Well the uh in the meantime, over the last twenty five years, or or I guess it in sixteen years, it the percentage of people that pay to prepare grew. From the time I started in 1969, 20 25% paid to prepare. It grew to 60% from from 1969 to 2005. So 16 years. Right? No, 36 years. So it grew in 36 years, from 69 to 2005. Uh, it went from 25% to 60%. Well, over the last 16 years, it's been about the same. Now it's down to about 58%. So people say to me, why don't, why isn't, why aren't you going to go out of business? They're going to simplify it or now you can go online. Well, entertainment is the reason. The young are using their phones and their, their gadgets for entertainment. They're not doing business with it. (laughs) Entertainment is a, is huge. Right. They're twitting and Facebooking (laughs) and playing games. And so they pay us to do their tax return. Wow. And as a percentage, the percentage every year of 18-year-olds that file their first return, that pay a prepare, is the same today as it was 50 years ago, long before the Internet started. Wow. Because they're fooling around. They're playing games.
0: That, that's amazing. Listen, guys, we're going to be back next week uh, with Chai. Hew. He's going to spend more time with us. So we love you guys.